So as Paul just mentioned, this morning I'm going to be finishing off our Equipped 2 series. And I'm going to be specifically talking how we can be equipped for work and right away across the room. Because I saw people like, oh, work, work. Now, I appreciate it is the summer holidays, and some of you, you might have just been away. For some of you, you might just be ready to go away. And you're sitting there thinking, Rob, literally, the last thing I want to be thinking about right now is work. But the truth is, now is a really good time to think about work. When things maybe are a little bit quieter, we have got a little bit of space to really remind ourselves, you know, why is it that we go to work? And I can see some of you sitting there and you're thinking, Rob, it's quite simple why I go to work. It's so I can pay my mortgage. I go to work so I can pay my rent. It's so I can buy food. It's so I can buy clothes and provide for my family. Or some of you just thinking there, sitting there thinking, I just go to work so I can buy nice things. It's quite simple. But this morning, I really want to look at how we can find purpose, meaning, and fulfillment in our work, because I really do believe that it is a God-given purpose. And before I I jump into this this morning, I almost want to just set the scene a little bit. And sometimes it can be very easy to allow our, our experiences from life to form our theology and our beliefs. And it can be so easy to do that. So this morning, as as Paul said, I want to ask that you you hear this word through ears of faith. Because I really do believe to to take this on board, it is going to require faith on your part. So we up for that this morning. We up for a little bit of a challenge. Good. Glad to hear it. So to begin with, I want to turn right to the beginning of the Bible where we see the very first account of work. And it is in the book of Genesis and it's chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. I'm going to read this out to you. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So we see here that God places Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he gives them the task of taking care of the garden. And the amazing thing about this story, and the thing that really jumped out for me, is that Adam and Eve, they didn't have to plant those fruit trees. They didn't have to prepare the soil. They didn't have to water any of the seeds They just received what God had planted. And recently we've moved house. and We've moved from a a terraced house that had no garden. It was the concrete jungle. And we've we've moved to a house that has a garden. And the, the people that we bought the house off were really avid gardeners. I mean, like, really avid. We went for the viewing and it was winter, so there was nothing there. But they were pointing to the garden and saying, there's that planted there and there's that planted there. And this summer, we're having a nice, nice bit of weather, a little bit of rain. We've all of a sudden, we've seen all of these different plants growing that we didn't even know were there. And particularly, we've seen gooseberries growing. And we're like, we've got fruit in our garden. And we've got mint leaves and different things. And just in the very same way, we, we didn't do anything to plant those. Someone else did that on our behalf. And in the exact same way, Adam and Eve, they receive of the fruit of God's labor. 
And later on in Genesis, we, we, we see that, that God is a very creative God. And it talks about God creating mankind in his image. And I believe just as God is creative, he has also created us to be creative. And that actually through our work, we can outwork that. Now, for those of you who have not read the creation story before, you'll know that Adam and Eve go on to eat from this tree of Uh, the knowledge of good and evil. And as a result of that, we see that the whole ranges of changes take place. And God, as a result, banishes Adam and Eve from the garden. He tells them, from this point forward, you'll have to toil from the ground. You're going to have to work the ground. And from the sweat of your brow, you will now have to work. But I want to pick the story up in verse 21. And this really stood out to me. And it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. So in this account, we see, as a result, Adam and Eve eating from the tree of knowledge that they must leave the garden. And we see that sin has now entered the world. And as a result, they could no longer be in that place. Now, not only did sin enter mankind, but it also entered the world as well. And as we saw in that passage there, Adam and Eve, as a result, all of a sudden had to do and work from the ground. They could no longer be in God's presence. So up here on the board this morning, I'm going to just write a very quick equation. For those of you that like your maths, you might appreciate this. So what we see is we have God's perfect world. You can all uh, test me on my spelling. And we see as a result of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we see that actually sin enters the world. And as a result, all of a sudden, we have a fallen, broken world. I'm going to come back to this in a little bit and touch a little bit more on this equation. But I really love the fact there that in verse 21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. We see here, God did not send Adam and Eve out of the garden empty-handed, but he sent them with what they needed. And God covered their nakedness by providing the clothing for their new surroundings. And this, I believe speaks of the true nature of God. We see here God as a loving father who is caring. Now there was a consequence that Adam and Eve's actions, you know, that that couldn't be uh, that that couldn't be changed, but within that God was able to provide. So I've entitled my message this morning positioned to receive. Now God intentionally positioned Adam and Eve in the garden so they could eat from the fruit. And for the rest of this morning, I want to unpack what it looks like for us to receive from God in different seasons within our life. And to introduce this theme, I'm going to need a volunteer. So in true fashion, Ben, can I invite you to the stage? 
Now, I've got a Frisbee here. It is summer, so, you know, it's the, it's the perfect time for a Frisbee. What are your Frisbee skills like, Ben? Are they good? Yeah. All right. So what I'm going to do in a moment, on the count of three, I'm going to throw this Frisbee to you, Ben, and I want you to catch it for me. Okay, so if you want to get in position, I'll get in position over here as well. So we ready. On the count of three. One, two, three. Oh, ben, what happened? Now, was Ben positioned very well to receive that Frisbee then? He wasn't, was he? He was back to covered. Let's, let's do this again. So, Ben, this time when I throw the frisbee, I want you to be facing me and looking at where I am. Are you ready for this? On the cat of three. One, two, three. Hey, give Ben a round of applause. You see, it's a very simple analogy. When we want to receive things, we have to be positioned correctly to receive them. You know, Ben had his back turned and he, he wasn't positioned that at all. But when he was looking at me and looking at where it was coming from, he was much better positioned. And in order to receive some things, we do need to be positioned correctly. And the definition of that word receive, it's this, to be presented with, uh, sorry, to be given, presented with, or paid something. And this morning, I want to focus on a particular passage, which is found in the book of Deuteronomy. And throughout this book of Deuteronomy, we see that God is speaking with a leader called Moses, and he's telling Moses how the the people of Israel should live now that they are no longer in slavery, living in the land of Egypt. And this is what we see in Deuteronomy 28, verse 1 to 14. And I'm going to read this passage out in its entirety, and it's really quite a long passage. So I want you to just take on board and just allow yourself to soak in the words here. And the the title for this passage is Blessings for Obedience. And it says this, I'm going to read it from the screen. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and your accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough, talking about bread, uh, will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant you that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and everything you put your hands to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that he has given you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called to be uh, called by the name of the Lord, and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground. In the land he swore your ancestors to give you, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. And I'm going to leave it there. And that passage, it talks about God pouring out blessings Um, upon lives and the the title of that passage is blessings for obedience and it's ultimately talking about putting God number one 
in our lives. It's talking about not letting anything take God's place in our lives. And I really believe that when we do that, when we put God number one in our lives, we position ourselves to receive from God. And I'm going to carry on unpacking that this morning. But let's just take a moment to think about what this would look like. What would it look like for God to bless you wherever you went and whatever you did? What would it look like for God to bless all of the work you do? What would it look like for God to bless your family and your children? What would it look like for God to bless your resources? And in verse 2 of that passage, it tells us that we will experience these blessings if we obey the Lord our God. And that we must not turn away from those things or follow any other gods. When we make God number one in our lives, we are positioning ourselves to receive a blessing and the blessings that we talked about. So in order to receive these blessings, there's a few things that we have to take place. And the first is we need to believe them in faith. It requires faith. It's not going to just happen in our own strength. And Hebrews 11 verse 1 tells us, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And Hebrews eleven six goes on to say, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. In order to position ourselves to receive these blessings of God, we have to have the faith and the belief that God wants to bless us. It requires faith on our part. And we need to have and we need to see God as a loving father. That needs to be our position. And, you know, it, it, God is a loving father who wants to provide for his children. So the same faith that we use here to believe for a miracle is the same faith that we are going to use for receiving the blessings and favor of God. And in verse 12 of that Deuteronomy passage, it tells us the Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. So this is a promise and a, a blessing from God, which we must believe in faith. And we must have that attitude that when we are working, that God will bless it. Now, just very quickly, we'll park that on a very quick side note. You know, work can be different from a job. You can do things in your life that are outside of your job, but God can still consider it as work. So don't just sit here and think, well, I've not got a job or, you know, I'm not in a place where I've got that. Maybe I'm studying or I'm retired. Don't allow that word work, put it into a nutshell of a job because there are two separate things. So with these blessings, it's having the faith that God can provide a job for you when you need one. It could be the faith that God could promote you within the company that you work for. For for some of you teachers who are in here, you know, it could be the faith and the belief that God wants to bless your teaching, that as a result, your students, that they will do well, and that as a school, as a whole, that it will prosper, that it will get good Ofsted reports. We're talking about the God of the impossible here. There's nothing outside of his reach. You know, it could be the belief that you're going to take the step of faith to start your own business. And it's believing that God will bless that and give you the favor that you need to grow that business. 
And as I said, for, for some of you parents, it could be the fact, and it's the belief that God is going to bless your parenting, that as you give of your time in that way, that God will bless him. A couple of years ago, myself and Beck, we, we went out for a meal, and at the time I had a job, and I, I was working, but it wasn't a job that I was particularly passionate about. And we, we sat down, and we, we were talking, we said, you know, what would the ideal job look like for me? You know, if, if it was a God-given job, what would it look like? And I've, I've always loved technology. I've always just been fascinated by it. And we sort of said, you know, it would be some sort of job where I could work with technology, but within that, there'd be some sort of presenting and maybe I'd be able to talk about it. And we put together this framework of what the ideal job would look like. And we, we prayed about it and we gave it to God. And I went back to work, you know, <laughs> kind of carry on with the day-to-day life. And about six months later, we had the opportunity to travel to Ghana for Becky's medical elective. And because of the length of time that we were going for, I had to hand in my notice, my boss at the time was like no I'm not giving you holiday pay that long Uh, so I had to hand in my notice and it was a it was a real step of faith where I had to hand in my notice not knowing if there'd be a job when I came back and when I did come back I started looking for for different jobs and there there happened to be one and it's the job that I have today and it's working for a, a 3D printing company which is the most futuristic coolest technology you can ever think of and yeah, yeah, it's not a sales pitch, it's okay. <laughs> and I, I went for that job and we saw it and I applied for it. And I, I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you've had lots of coincidences where you're like, this just had to be God. There's no way this could have happened if I tried to do it on my own. And this was one of those experiences. So I, I went for the job and I was sat there in the interview and they played the company video and on the company video was somebody who came to this church so literally in the interview I'm sending a message like I've come for an interview didn't realize you worked here can you put in a good word (laughs) (laughs) so that was coincidence number one and then the second coincidence was a whether it's a coincidence or God just wanting to show how amazing he is when I was in that interview, it was a group interview, so there must have been I don't know, 30 other people there, all applying for a couple of positions, and that's, that's intimidating on its own. And the director of the company got up and he said, I've got you all here today as the latest generation of university graduates. And I remember sitting there and just sinking in my seat, because I've not been to university, and I thought... I might as well just go home right now. There is no way in a room full of university graduates I'm going to get this job. But lo and behold, out of God's goodness and faithfulness, I did get that job. And it has been one of the most rewarding uh, jobs that I've ever had. And I really believe that that was God um, outpouring his, his favor. And I believe that it came out of faith. It came out of believing that God could provide something. So in order to position ourselves to receive, we have to take action. We have to do something on our part. If we just stay in bed, nothing's going to happen. We have to actually do something. And I'm going to go back to that passage in Deuteronomy. And later on in chapter 29, there's two verses I want to read out, uh, 9 and then 14 to 15. It says, therefore, obey the terms of the covenant so that you will prosper in everything you'll do. But it goes on to say, but you are not the only ones with whom I am making this covenant with its curses. I am making this covenant both with you who stand here today in the presence of the Lord our God and also with future generations who are not standing here today. 
We are part of these future generations referenced in this passage. And I love this because it shows that God is a generational God. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't just pour out his love on one individual, but that blessing passes on from generation to generation. And I've been privileged to, to be brought up in a family and be part of a generation where blessings have been passed on, where resources have been passed on. And it's amazing to see when God can work through that. So we are entitled to these blessings and these promises because we have been adopted into God's family. And Romans 8, 17 tells us, and since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided we accept his sufferings as our own. The amazing thing about the good news of Jesus is that when we give our lives to God, we are adopted into his family. And as a result, we are entitled to all of the blessings of God. These are just a few that I've put up this morning, but the Bible is full of them. And it goes on to say there that we, we will also be, uh, will accept his sufferings as well. And I believe that talks about that as a Christ follower, we're a Christ follower. We are prepared to pick up our cross. We are prepared to sacrifice our lives and we are prepared to follow Jesus no matter what the cost. So the question is, you know, do you want to be a part of these blessings this morning? So on the whiteboard, I'm going to continue with our equation and I want to add something else. You see... When Jesus died on the cross, it changed the equation. All of a sudden, sin was not the primary part. But actually, as a result, we are adopted into God's family and we become a part of the kingdom. King. (laughs) Kingdom of God. I hope you can read that at the back. But it says kingdom of God. Lord, So in Deuteronomy 28, verse 12, it talks about the Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens. That's talking about the kingdom of God. It's talking about something that is above this earth. And heaven is a part of kingdoms, uh, God's kingdom. And we need to be sensitive to the different seasons that we have in our lives. When you've got your first job waiting tables, it's going to be very different to the season of where maybe you start your own business. When you're in high school and you're doing your GCSEs, it's going to be a different demand to when you're at university doing a degree. And we need to be sensitive to those different seasons within our lives. And somebody who knew the importance of seasons was a man called Joseph. And I want to spend the, the last bit of uh, time that we have today focusing on this story of Joseph. And for those of you that don't know who Joseph is, uh, he was uh, a part of Jacob's family. And I've, I think we've got it up here, Genesis 37, verse 2 to 8. But Joseph was a shepherd. And he was the favorite of all of his brothers. And as a result of that, his brothers hated him. And to make matters worse, God was speaking to him. God was speaking to him through dreams. And as a result of that, he was despised by all of his brothers. 
And as I said, at this point in his life, he was about 17 years old. And what I want to do this morning is plot out some of the key times and the key seasons within Joseph's life where we see Joseph positioned to receive from God. So I'm going to put on here at the age of 17. And we're going to switch to the green pen. So at the age of 17, we see that Joseph was a shepherd. We also see that God gave him dreams. Now, the story didn't end there. It would have been much easier for Joseph if it did. But he goes on a long journey. And we see that his brothers, eventually, they despise him so much that they decide that they want to kill him. This is getting pretty heated between brotherly rivalry. But in the end, they decide that they're going to sell Joseph into slavery rather than kill him. So they're thinking about money now. So the the conversation changes a little bit. And we see that Joseph goes from being a shepherd to being sold into slavery. And I would just want to pick up uh, where it talks about Joseph being in slavery. And it's Genesis 29, verse 1 to 6. And it says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmael traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything that he did, and he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. How cool is that? I'll find it in a minute. So it says, Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything that he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't even worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. So Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers, and he ends up working in Potiphar's household. But God was with Joseph. And he caused him to succeed in everything he did. And Potiphar noticed that God was with him, which I think is incredible. And Joseph pleased Potiphar so much that he was made his personal attendant. And Joseph was put in charge of his entire household. So all of a sudden, he's gone from being a shepherd to be put into slavery to actually now being made a personal attendant. Sorry if that's small at the back. And I really believe that in the exact same way that God was able to bless Joseph indirectly. So by blessing Potiphar's household, it caused Joseph to be blessed. And in the same way, I believe God can indirectly bless you. That he can bless the companies that you work for so that you will be blessed. Get your head around that. You know, God can bless projects that you're overseeing so that they run well and they run smoothly due to your direct input. And this could be through a multiple of ways. It could just be just through your hard work. 
just being a good employee, putting in what's required. You know, it could be through winning contracts, finding new work, or even closing sales. And God can bless you in so many ways. And it doesn't just have to be in a a job environment. It could be that through your hard work, through your faithfulness, through serving, that God blesses you as a family, that he pours out his blessings in those ways. And when we carry on the story in Genesis 39, 6 to 10, it says, So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't have to worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was very handsome and a well-built young man. And part of his wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. And for those that, you, that know the story well, you'll know that part of his wife is, is flirting with Joseph and is trying to get him to sleep with her. And eventually part of his wife frames Joseph and actually accuses him of raping her. Now, the thing about this story is I I really believe that it it speaks of Joseph's integrity. At some point, we don't know exactly his age, probably in his mid-20s, you know, you can imagine as a teenager, as a young man, the temptation to give into that and to sleep with part of his wife. But as a man of integrity, as someone who had self-control, he recognized the fact that actually the favor upon his life was more important than sleeping with part of his wife. He recognized the value of what God put upon his life and was prepared not to make a God out of somebody else, but to keep God as number one in his life. At a, a very hard result for Joseph, because we see when we pick up the story that Joseph is put in prison. In Genesis 39, in verse 19, it says, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her, even though he didn't treat her that way. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. So we see that actually now Joseph, wrong pen, Joseph is in prison. So we can see with this story that he was a shepherd who was sold into slavery. He became part of his personal attendant to now he's in prison. Like this is even worse than being sold into slavery. I'm sure if he'd asked Joseph, he would have much preferred to be in his father's field looking after his sheep. But he's not. He's in prison at this point. And it would be very easy at this point in the story to look at Joseph's life and say, you know what? God was no longer with him. It would be, we could look at his circumstances and ask, you know, how is Joseph positioned to receive from God in this season? It, it's all gone to pot. He's in prison. But it doesn't. In Genesis verse 39, verse 21 to 23, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. Wow. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite within the prison, uh, with the prison warden. Seeing a theme here with Joseph. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. So Joseph, he's thrown into prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him his faithful love. And before long, we see that Joseph is actually promoted, that he's made the warden's attendant. I'm going to write this on here. I'm running out of space. Can we get another whiteboard? 
Joseph has made the warden's attendant in prison. And we see later on in the story when it goes on that uh, Pharaoh, who oversees Egypt, it begins to start having dreams. And he, he speaks to the people around him. He takes to some of the, uh, the sorcerers and some of the people of the day who may be able to interpret dreams. And none of them can interpret them. And Joseph is given the opportunity to go before Pharaoh and interpret the dream. And this is what it says. It says, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? This is someone who's not a Christian, who may not even believe in the same God as Joseph and ourselves, but recognizes that the Spirit of God is with him. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meanings of the dreams, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be put in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on the throne, will have a higher rank than you. And we see that Joseph is put in charge over the entire land of Egypt. And it just stands out for me when Pharaoh says, Can we find anyone else? who's so obviously filled with the Spirit of God. We see Joseph is filled with uh, given clothes and rings and given a sign of authority. So we see that actually now he becomes the ruler of Egypt. Make sure I spell Egypt right. And at this point in the story, we see that Joseph is 30 years old. So Joseph has been on a journey for 13 years. And it doesn't end there because Joseph actually goes on. And we go right back to the beginning where God had given Joseph dreams. And what happens is God fulfills those dreams. And actually Joseph's dreams are fulfilled. Because what we see happen is actually his brothers come and bow down before him just like in the dream. And we too, we can position ourselves to receive from God no matter what season we're in. You know, throughout my own working life, I've been in jobs where I've been promoted. And it's been such a God thing where it's like, wow, God, you've done something here. You are pouring out your blessing in this way. And it can be so easy to look at our circumstances. Like, you know, Joseph was in prison for years It would have been so easy to look at them and conclude that God was not with him. But it's actually, it's in those harder seasons of our lives that we actually need to reposition ourselves. We need to reposition ourselves to receive from God. And when I was younger, before the days of digital television, we had a, a portable television with an aerial on the top. People remember these. And if you wanted to get a good signal, you had to kind of get the, the aerial and kind of wave it around and try and get a good signal. And you might have been watching television and all of a sudden the picture would go off. And you'd have to stop what you were watching and reposition the aerial. And I believe that as we transition through different seasons of our lives, we need to do that. We need to position ourselves to receive differently. And what we see is that actually throughout uh, Joseph's life, in absolutely every season of his life, we see that God was with him. That God still blessed him. He was still positioned to receive. So how does this fit with our work today? How can we apply this today? You're not in prison, you're here, that's good. But how can we apply this in our jobs? And as I said before, we believe in a loving father who wants to bless us. And he can do that through our work and the things that we put our hands to.
And in the New Testament, we see that the Apostle Paul, that alongside his ministry at times, he worked. And he, he did ministry, but he still had a job. And he was a tent maker. He physically made tents. And in this passage that I've got up behind me here, in Acts 20, verse 33 to 35, The Apostle Paul goes on to say, I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And the reality is that we can help others by working hard. That when we work to earn a living, it means that we're able to bring resource back into the house, we're able to bring resource into the church, and that we can have a part to play in building God's kingdom. That actually we can support charities and we can support works that are going to further advance the kingdom of God. And also we're able to interact with people who are around us who we might not normally get to interact with. And I'm going to, I'm going to invite Richard up to the stage. Looking for him there. Rich up to the stage and, and, and come to the keys. Or Dave, whoever. I'll have any keyboardist if, if you want. Don't have to. <laughs> But the Apostle Paul, as I say, was a tent maker. And that phrase, it has been coined and it refers to someone who is a Christian but works within a secular environment. And a tent maker's main job is evangelism on the job. Their secular positions or study are not an inconvenience that robs time from their main goal of evangelism but are the necessary God-given context in which the sharing of their faith takes place. And they live out their lives and they live out the gospel in an attractive, godly, non-judgmental way. They demonstrate the joy of knowing God and the hope of God, even in suffering, just like Joseph. When times are getting tough, they allow that hope to continue to shine out. And tent makers, they practice personal integrity. They do quality work and develop caring relationships. Because they are not perfect, they are quick to apologize and to admit that they are still learning to follow God. Their lifestyles, they are attractive. And in the context of friendly and caring relationships, Tent makers tactfully insert appropriate comments about their faith into secular conversations. They learn to drop tiny spiritual bombshells in a casual, natural way. And when we look at the life of Joseph, we see that in the different seasons that he's in, that he has an opportunity not only to receive from God, but also he impacts those around him. And at the end of his life, the end of his story, he impacts the entire land of Egypt and beyond. And in the same way, I want to give you that challenge this morning, that when you're at work, that you are positioned to receive, but it doesn't stop with you. That Actually, you can show that hope that you have to the people around you. That actually the primary reason that we go to work, the primary reason that we can go to jobs is yes, so we can provide, but it's also so we can be far-reaching. We can use it to be a tent maker, to reach those who are around us. And I had the, the opportunity recently when I was in the office at work, and it was, it was one of those ordinary days. And my colleague was talking to another colleague, and she was sharing how one of her close family members had passed away. 
and was very much missing that family member. So much so that they said to their colleague that, you know, if, if I went to see, um, I'm trying to think of the word now, if I went to see a psychic, if I went to see somebody to try and find out about how they're doing, would you come with me? And for me as a Christian, I was in that environment. I was like, no, that, that, that's not right. And I was able to step in and say, actually, you know, was your relative, like, were they a Christian? Did they have a faith? And it opened up a whole conversation where they began to share that actually, yeah, you know, they were a Christian and they went to church. And it allowed me the opportunity to share about my faith and the belief that when we die, it's not the end, but actually we, we go to heaven and that one day we can be reunited. And it opened up this whole beautiful exchange and this beautiful conversation that if I hadn't been there, if I hadn't been in that place, for, we don't know how that would have ended up. And so much so that I was able to say, look, you know, you've got a lot of questions about life. At church, we run something called the Alpha Course. And if you want to come along, it's where you can come and you can ask some of these questions that you have. We've been positioned intentionally by God. Adam was placed in the garden. You have been placed in the environments where God has put you in. And to close, and my final passage out of Ecclesiastes, verse 5, 19. It tells us, and it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. You know, God has positioned you intentionally, first of all, to receive for yourself, but also so you can be far-reaching and reach out to those who are around you. So today, when you go from this place and you go back to work, Go back refreshed with that new outlook, knowing that God has intentionally placed you, that he has sent you and he has positioned you, that he wants to pour out his blessings and favour. And to close and summarise, we're going to sing a song now and it's a song called Hindsight. And I absolutely love it because the words of it talk about God and they talk about God not being finished yet. And no matter what season you're in, whether you feel like you're Joseph in prison or whether you feel like you're on top of the world, know that God isn't finished yet. And the lyrics say, so I'll trust him with what comes next. No matter what you face, let's trust God. For the God I know is known for his faithfulness.